0: Amen. How long are you going to live? (laughs) A little bit of a trick question. How long are you going to live? This week, a report came out that said if you will eat cheese, that you may live longer. It says that the, the cheese will actually help your metabolism increase and obesity decrease. Therefore, scientifically speaking, you may live longer. The study was done in Denmark, the country, not Denmark, South Carolina, but the study was done in Denmark, and the study looked at subjects that in their diets had cheese and milk, or subjects that had no dairy products except butter. I am totally going with this study if it tells me that eating butter will prolong my life. This is great, great, great news. Another report out this week says that drinking green tea will help you live longer. Research shows that some of the compounds in green tea can lower the risk of stroke and heart disease and some forms of cancer. Two weeks ago, there was a report out that said the Americans with the highest incomes live longer than the Americans with the poorest incomes. That was two weeks ago. Three weeks ago, there was a report out that said you will live longer if you have this certain gene known as CD33R siglec. If you have that gene, it's an anti-inflammatory gene, you will live a little longer as the research goes. You just got it, didn't you? I'm sorry. So do you want to live longer? Do you want to you have a longer life? Well, eat butter, drink tea. Be rich and have really good genes and you can live a longer life. But what then? What if you live a longer life? What if you have more years in life? What then? Well, I hate to be a downer, but the truth of the matter is, is no matter how long you live, you eventually die. See, none of us can avoid death. It's, It's impossible for us to avoid death. And so the quest to live longer, it's noble and it is very helpful. Especially if it includes butter. This is int- this is great news. I'm really excited about the butter. But the quest for living longer, at the very least, because death is unavoidable, it seems that the quest for what happens after you live longer, the quest for what happens after death, it seems a little bit more intriguing if we can't avoid death and maybe another interesting thought in the middle of this discussion is what do we do with our life until death what do we do with our life until the time that we die i want you to think about the day you were born i want you to think about the year that you were born i want you to think about the place that you were born now how many years have you lived since that day now, what have you done with your life so far? How long are you going to live? How many more years do you have? And what are you going to do with the time that you have left? What are you going to do with your days? The Apostle Paul has some interesting things for us to merit on as we try to consider these types of heavy questions. Look with me at Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Paul writes to Titus, in the hope of eternal life. Every person in the universe, spiritually speaking, lives forever. Everyone lives forever. Everyone has eternal life. You either have eternal life with God or you have eternal life separated from God. Now, even if you don't believe in God, we all understand the concept of what it means to be separated from someone we love, right? A premature baby might be taken down the hall to a a different area for some observation. And that observation will give that new exhausted mommy a little bit of time to rest. But you know what? That new mommy also has a confident hope that in a few hours or, or maybe by the next morning, she's going to be holding that baby in her arms again. You see, that's just a temporary separation from someone you love. Eternity is not temporary. Eternity is not just down the hall. Eternity is forever. Forever with God or forever separated from God. See, to be separated from love that is perfect, Love that is pure. Love that is holy. To be separated from that kind of love does not create hope. In fact, to be separated from perfect, holy, pure love actually kills hope. In the sentence right before this, Paul had been writing about the most satisfying kind of life that you can have. The most satisfying life in the universe is a life of godliness. A godly life is marked by someone who knows God. A godly life is marked by loving God, and obeying God, serving God, trusting God, but most, and maybe more importantly, having hope in God. Having constant, consistent hope in God. There's a young man in our community who just started following Jesus a few weeks ago. He had an opportunity to speak at his school this week, and he said something along the lines of this, you can't Have Jesus and be the same. You can't have Jesus and be the same. He's right. That new mom, her life changes when she has that baby. Her education, her career, her exercise goals, her, her gardening skills, her travel plans, none of those things have the same shimmer and shine they had before because now she is holding this brand new life in her hands now she has a new kind of joy a new kind of hope what is it that christianity offers what does christianity offer to the world william Barclay puts it this way it is the offer of god's power for our frustration of God's serenity for our dispeace, of God's truth for our guessing, of God's goodness for our moral failure, of God's joy for our sorrow. And then he says this the Christian gospel does not, in the first place, offer men an intellectual creed or a moral code, it offers them life, the very life of God. That's what the Christian gospel has to offer, the very life of God. If you are a Christian, you should be preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Preaching the gospel to yourself does not mean that you tell yourself that you need to to do better and and live better and and have a better life. Preaching the gospel to yourself doesn't just mean that you tell yourself, well, I, I need to be more involved in the church. That's good. All those things are good. But when I preach the gospel to myself, I am reminding my heart that through Jesus Christ, I have received the very life of God. That is the gospel. That is what we keep telling ourselves over and over again. I have received the life of God through Jesus Christ. In other words, I've received eternal life. And eternal life is full of hope. The most hope-filled people in the universe should be Christians. So, how are you doing at preaching the gospel to yourself every day? Are you waiting for Sundays? Or are you taking this incredible hope, this eternal life, and letting your heart and your mind be reminded every day of what you have? How are you doing at being a hope-filled person? when you leave this building on Sundays. Paul said this to the church at Rome. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And then a couple of verses later, he says this. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. The hope that a Christian has in eternal life will never disappoint that Christian. Why? Because Jesus bought that hope. Jesus bought that eternal life. Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem. He was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. Three days later, he came back from the dead. That is not a myth. That is not a legend. That is not a fairy tale. To say that the facts about Jesus are not true is to deny a significant symphony of evidence. But what's behind the facts is what's astounding. Because behind the facts about Jesus is the truth about Jesus. And the truth about Jesus is that he did all of those things to rescue people like me and you from our sin. So to reject the truth behind the facts about Jesus is to reject the greatest hope in the universe. But even crazier is to claim to believe the truth behind the facts about Jesus, and yet function as if you do not have hope. C.S. Lewis said it this way. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. And then he says, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. So how are you doing at thinking of the other world? How are you doing at aiming at heaven? You see, the hope of eternal life is not in this room. The hope of eternal life is not in this state. The hope of eternal life is not in this country. It is not on this earth. The hope of eternal life is ultimately in heaven. That's where it is. We will not find the hope of eternal life in each other. We will not find the hope of eternal life in anything on this world. But we will find the hope of eternal life when our eyes and our aim is heaven. Because when we aim at heaven, we get Jesus. And when we get Jesus, we have hope. The greatest hope that we can give Jordan is not us. The greatest hope we can give him is the hope of heaven. The hope of knowing Jesus forever. There is no greater hope. And when we as Christians begin to be the kind of Christians that do not function just in this world, that when our aim, our minds, our hearts are more on heaven than on anything else, then we begin to become the believers that God has purposed for us to be on this earth. But if we aim at earth, we we get nothing. So we need to aim at heaven. The hope of eternal life is in heaven. And once we get that hope, we will have hope here. And where did that hope come from? Well, look at verse 2. Paul says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Paul's writing this letter to Titus and to the people at the church on the island of Crete. Crete in the ancient world was known as the the place where you could find the best liars in the world. Boy, everybody there was just a bunch of liars. So what does Paul give them for this culture of lies that they live in? He gives them a promise from someone who can't lie. Charles Spurgeon said this, When we read that God cannot lie, we understand by it not only that he cannot say what is untrue, but that having said something that is true, he never changes from it and does not by any possibility alter his purpose or retract his word. You see, it's not just generally speaking that God can't lie. It's very specifically that when God makes a promise, it is impossible for that promise not to come true. The hope of eternal life is a promise that will happen. Imagine a little girl going in to her dad. Daddy, 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 daddy. Can we go to Disney on ice next week? Please, 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 pretty, please. And the daddy says, sure, honey, we'll go. We'll do that next week. You promise, daddy? Yeah, sweetie, I, I promise. So next week rolls around. The Zamboni catches on fire, burns the ice rink to the ground. The show gets canceled, and the little girl looks at her daddy and says, but daddy, you promised. You see, God has sovereign authority over natural and supernatural Zambonis. See, there is absolutely no way for the promises of God not to be kept. His promises do not fail. His promise of eternal life is real. And when did he give this promise? When did he give this hope that can only be found in him, this promise that will happen? Well, Paul says he gave it long ages ago. I love how one commentator has put this. It means outside of time, inside of time, and beyond time. I love that. That's a great picture. See, God didn't just pick up a present for the anniversary for the Israelites, like at the last minute. No, his promise of eternal life was made before the foundations of the world, before time began. And when did he share this promise? Look at verse 3. But at the proper time, manifested. See, for hundreds and hundreds of years, people had been singing some version of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And then one day, at the proper time, at just the right time, God invaded the world. Jesus was born in a stable outside of Bethlehem. Before He created the heavens and the earth, God created the plan to rescue you from your sins. Before the heavens and the earth were created, God created the plan to rescue you from your sin. This story about Jesus Christ is why we know what love is. God sent his son, and his son died for our sake. And all of that was planned before the world was created. The creator of the world initiated that. The promise of God is outside of time. It is inside of time. It is beyond time. It cannot be touched. It is sure. And why does that matter? Peter said this, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Why did Jesus appear in Bethlehem? So that you would have hope. Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? So that you would have hope. Hope in what? Hope in God. Not hope in us, but hope in God. You see, there are no fire-catching Zambonis with God. Nothing can interrupt the promises of God. Nothing can interfere with the promises of God. Nothing can impede the promises of God. The promises of God will happen. Titus and the other folks at this church, they lived in a world surrounded with lies. Everywhere there were lies. Lies from their spouses. Lies from their parents. Lies from their kids. Lies from their friends. Lies from people in government you know, the kind of stuff that we don't know anything about, right? So what does Paul give them? For their world that's full of lies and things they can't believe, what does he give them? Well, he gives them an eternal truth, (laughs) a promise of eternal truth, not just a temporary truth, but a promise that keeps standing the test of time over and over and over again. Why? Because it was a promise made before time existed. It was a promise that was made outside of time and inside of time and beyond time. You see, I cannot build my life on a lie. I can't. Neither can you. But we can build our life on an internal promise. A promise that lasts forever. You can build your life on a promise that cannot fail and last forever. You know what else you can do with a promise like that? You can share it. Look again at verse 3. But at the proper time, God manifested even his word in the proclamation, proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Paul was born on a certain day, at a certain time, at a certain place. And then he lived a while on the earth. He did a number of things with his life. And then one day, Paul was born again on a certain day, at a certain time, at a certain place. And from that moment on, he only did one thing with the rest of his life. He made a big deal out of Jesus. He preached the gospel to himself, and he preached the gospel to others. Heart question for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. On the day that we were born again, can that be said of us? Have we been preaching the gospel to ourselves? Have we been preaching the gospel to others? Or are we sitting back waiting for the good old days in heaven? Paul gave his life to making much of Jesus. And he is calling these folks on this island many years ago and the folks on the island of South Carolina to do the exact same you know today is senior adult day where we are honoring those in our church who have gone a couple of years past fifty here or there we're honoring their work and their efforts their time their energy their love for God and their love for the church I know this is pretty self-explanatory but I'll say it just in case being a senior adult doesn't make you automatically a Christian there are a lot of senior adults who are lost a lot of senior adults who live tremendously ungodly lives, and they live to be a 100. I think one of the reasons that, compared to a century ago, that statistically speaking, people are living longer, I think one of the reasons is because God's being gracious and kind. He wants to see some senior adults and retired people come to Jesus. I think another reason that statistically speaking, that a century ago and now is a little different and that people are living longer is because God's being gracious to younger people. The reality is I can look back and as far as I can remember, there has always been at least one person, sometimes two, over the age of 70 usually, who were directly helping me love and follow Jesus. Some of those people, one of them I'll see tonight, I even call one of my best friends. The church needs godly, older people. The church needs older people who, like Paul, are putting their affections on Jesus because the younger people need to see you putting your affections on Jesus because if you do, our hope is going to increase because we're going to see you aiming at heaven. We're going to see you aiming at Jesus, and we're just naturally going to say that's what we should be doing now And that's what we should be doing as we get older. You know, the concept of retirement has only been around for about 125 years. And you will not find the concept of retirement in the Bible anywhere. I heard one time somebody said that the culture of retirement has actually damaged the local church. And it said the reason it's damaged the local church is it's created in the mindset of people, well, I've hit this age, so I can't do this anymore, and I can't do that anymore. The way we usually hear it in the church is something like this, well, I've done my time. Yeah, float that one by God. <laughs> I don't see God giving you a thumbs up on that. No, the, the reality is, is there is a great hope right now in your life, regardless of age. You might have to change how you serve. You might have to change where you serve. You might have to change when you serve. You might have to change the, the way you serve. The concept of retiring from Christian service or retiring from serving the church of Christ, it is anti-Christian to say that there is retirement for Christianity. And here's why. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we say things like this don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from. Paul says, What? Don't forget where you're going. Paul says, Be eager about where you are going. Be eager for Jesus. I heard a funny story or a funny picture of this one time. Imagine that you're going to an airport and you're going to your gate and you're about to catch your flight, but your flight's not there yet, so you're gonna have to wait. So would you go to the airport and go over the lobby and and find yourself a seat and go sit down in the seat? Or would you go to the other corner and set up a tent and a campsite because you planned on staying for a long time in that corner? Now, bless her heart, Karen Moore almost had to do that a few weeks ago. But generally speaking, we're only there for a little bit. We're just waiting for the plane to come in. We're not going to set up a tent in the corner. Listen, if you're a Christian, we are only passing through. Really, we are only passing through. So your time is right now. This is your time. If you're 18 years old, this is your time. You are not promised tomorrow. If you're 80 years old, this is your time. You are not promised tomorrow. Well, you're not promised tomorrow unless you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are promised tomorrow. And you're promised the next day and the next day and the next day to infinity and beyond. The hope of eternal life doesn't die. It doesn't stop. Every single person in this room, everyone who can hear my voice right now, as Chuck sang, you were meant to be right now. So, what are you going to do with your time? What do you need to do with your time? Well, you need to find Christ. And you need to follow Christ. And you need to love Christ. And you need to serve Christ. And you need to have hope in Christ. C.T. Studd said it best. Only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ shall last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life. Just one. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray.